Hello, and welcome to the very first Dagish America Presents podcast. I am your host, Ben Harl, and I'm so very happy to have the opportunity to talk to you about the industry that I work in. Okay, pest control. I know it doesn't exactly sound glamorous. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my career I've been known simply as the bug guy. But I'm hoping that this podcast will help shed some light onto just how important our industry is. How technical and innovative we have to be in order to provide the service we do and why we should all take pride in our jobs. The goal of this podcast is to bring insight, news, and knowledge to folks who do work in the pest control industry, specifically as it pertains to the protection of our food supply. And we're going to cover all sorts of topics as we progress. Everything from pest identification, inspection techniques, types of control methods, including fumigation of course, all of the steps necessary to achieve control, and so many other wonderful ways that we in the industry protect our nation's food supply. In our first season, we're going to talk about the basics of fumigation. We're going to talk about the history of fumigation and introduce you to the most common stored product pests found in the United States. We're also going to introduce you to the most commonly used fumigants in the United States, as well as offer some guidance on the storage and transportation of those fumigants. And finally, we'll wrap the season up by discussing what the future of fumigation looks like in the United States. And hey, listen, I can't do all of this on my own, so every episode I'll be bringing in an industry expert to help make sense of all this information. And luckily enough for us, our industry is full of extremely knowledgeable folks. And who better to help us all get better at our jobs than those people we already look up to, right? So with that being said, I'd like to welcome to this first episode, Jim Smiley. Jim is currently the Division's Business Development Manager for Degish America, and he's been with Degish since 1977. I've known Jim for a long time now, and I couldn't think of a better person to give us a little history of fumigation. So without further ado, help me welcome Jim to the podcast. Welcome. Thanks a lot, Jim. I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us uh, on the podcast. My pleasure, Ben. My pleasure. <laughs> good, good. All right, so I just want to start out of the gate. Uh, for anybody, I'm, I'm assuming most of our listeners probably know who you are at this point. You've been in the pest control industry for quite a while or the fumigation industry for quite a while. But for anybody who may not know who you are, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, your history in the, in the industry? Uh, my name's Jim Smiley. This is 2020, so I have now have 47 years experience in the wow. fumigation industry. Started when I was 18 years old as a part-time fumigator when I was going to college. So for three summers while I was in college, I was a fumigation crew member in North Carolina, uh, graduated from college and went to work for a company at the time that was called Fumigators Incorporated. When Degish came to the United States, the first organization they purchased was Fumigators Incorporated. So by virtue of that, I call myself the oldest Degish employee <laughs> around at this point. You know, since that time, I, I stayed in North Carolina from the late 70s up until 1990 in various functions. Uh, my last function in North Carolina, I was manager of the Degish America presence in the state of North Carolina. And then in 1990, I took the challenge of moving to the West Coast and established an office for Degish in Portland, Oregon. And from 1990 until 2015, I uh, ran the office in Portland, Oregon, uh, involved primarily in ship fumigation. In 2015, I moved back to North Carolina, and as I finish up my career, uh, that I'm back to where I started. So you've literally worked fumigation from coast to coast. Uh, correct. Yes, I have. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I have, in some form or fashion. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you this, uh, just out of curiosity. Uh, what kind of differences are there between the types of fumigations that take place 
you know, in, on the East Coast as compared to the West Coast? Are they similar? Or are they different? I mean, I don't know a lot about West Coast fumigation, so I kind of wanted to ask that. For the most part, you know, fumigation is a science and, and it's handled the same way. The commodities change. Right. Uh, the office that we're sitting in here in North Carolina is involved primarily in tobacco where, uh, warehouse fumigation. Tobacco is stored for a period of time by the cigarette companies before it's manufactured into cigarettes, and it's very susceptible to particularly the cigarette beetle during the time that it's under, under storage. Mm -hmm. So once, twice per year, the tobacco companies will hire Degish America to go out and fumigate their storage complexes. On the West Coast, it's almost all grain fumigation. The office I was involved in in Portland, Oregon, Portland is the largest wheat export port in the world. Wow. So I was involved in, in quite a bit of export wheat fumigation. And recently, recently I mean since 2000, the Chinese have been very active in the U.S. soybean market. So the, the cargo switched more from wheat and corn over to soybeans. But it was almost all bulk carriers carrying 50 to 60,000 metric tons of cargo overseas to ports in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. Wow, so a lot of export fumigation then. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So I, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna hit you with just the biggest blanket question that I possibly can, most general question in the world. What is fumigation? <laughs> fumigation, by my definition, is the control of insects uh, using a, a poisonous gas. Okay. I mean, fumigation by definition is introducing a gaseous substance into an enclosed space and killing the, the life stages of insects that happen to be uh, living in that space. Okay. Yeah. And I think that there's uh, sometimes we get a lot of confusion uh, in our industry and then also with some of our customer base where, you know, you hear a lot of people say that they're going to fumigate, but what they actually are doing is fogging or vice versa, where they say they're fogging and then they're fumigating. Um, so I think knowing exactly what that definition is, is pretty important. Uh, and as fumigators, it's important for us to, to help other people in our industry and then some of our customers understand what the definition of fumigation is so they know exactly what the expectation is. Uh, that's, that's correct. Fogging, by definition, is, is an aerosol application. Fogs are always larger molecules than fumigants. Fumigants are true gases. Fogs are always droplets. They might be microscopic droplets, but they are always droplets, and they come into contact with insects and kill them in that manner, whereas fumigants are gases, and they have to be inhaled or absorbed through the, through the skin of the insects in order to accomplish the end goal. Yeah, and one of the most important aspects of fumigation, at least compared to fogging, is it is a gas, so it can penetrate down into areas that your normal aerosol insecticides or wet insecticides just can't. They're gonna hit a barrier and stop where fumigants, because they're gaseous in nature, are going to go right through that product, for the most part, down into the center mass where maybe some of those insects are hiding where your, your conventional pest control methods just aren't gonna be able to come into contact with them. Right, and, and aerosol insecticides are almost never gonna be effective against egg stages and, and some of the premature stages of insects. You know, They're very effective against adults, in, in any of the immature stages that they come into contact with, but a fumigant is going to be effective against all stages of insect life if it's applied correctly. Yes, yeah, and that's one of the reasons why fumigation is such an important part of protecting our, our global food supply because it can be used in ways and means that conventional insecticides can't. We can actually get to the insects and kill all life stages 
in areas where conventional pest control is just not going to be able to do it. That's correct, yes. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> there are several fumigants that are on the market. Can you just kind of give us a brief rundown on what those fumigants are and kind of how they're used? I mean, just briefly, we don't have to go too in-depth. You know, to my mind, there are basically three fumigants on the market at this point in time. The phosphine-based fumigants, uh, you know, the metal-based phosphides, aluminum and magnesium phosphide are the, the primary products that Degish is involved with. The other primary fumigant is sulfuryl fluoride. Sulfuryl fluoride um, ha comes under a couple of trade names. Vicane has been around since the early 60s and was used in residential fumigation to control dry wood termites and, and wood destroying organisms in houses. Once uh, methyl bromide came under attack in the 1990s, uh, the, the folks at Dow went out and, and labeled sulfuryl fluoride to be used in commodity fumigation under the trade name of Profume. And last is methyl bromide. There is still some methyl bromide being used, but it's on the uh, Montreal Protocol list of substances that can affect the ozone layer. So it's, it's being phased out uh, you know, more and more every year. And I think I can quickly see the time when methyl bromide will not even be in the marketplace any longer. Yeah, I've been around long enough that I used methyl bromide uh, before the, the restrictions really started. <laughs> and it has really, it doesn't seem like it's, that's, that, it, that it's been reduced that fast, but when you look back it actually has considering how prevalent methyl bromide was for pest control in the food processing industries. I remember using methyl bromide in food processing facilities. Now that's not allowed across the board at all. I mean there's a very very small amount of it that's a critical use exemption that can be used for the ham industry but other than that the only other thing you can use methyl bromide for today to the best of my knowledge is just for export fumigation of logs and, and some quarantine uh, for quarantine pests and that's pretty much it so right. it's on its way out quick right and, and the quarantine work all has to be done under the auspices of usda because there's a specific form of methyl bromide, the yep. Q gas that has to be used sp specifically for that purpose. So uh, yeah, I agree with you. Methyl bromide is, is, it was a very good chemical and it served the industry well for many years, but uh, it's seen its better days and, and I think that its time in use is, is slowly but surely going away. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> all right. Now another broad, because I'm, I'm just going to hit you again and again with all these broad general questions here. <laughs> so. Can you, is there any way you can just kind of give us a brief history of the fumigation industry for the United States? You know, kind of when it started, how it started, some of the chemicals that we used at first. Has anything changed between then and now other than methyl bromide, which we already talked about? You know, Ben, some of this actually predates my time. Uh, when I started in 73, the two main chemicals being used at that time, like I said, were phosphine, primarily in the grain and tobacco industry, and then methyl bromide was used for just about everything else. The Vicane sulfuryl fluoride product was used for household fumigations. To the best of my knowledge, phosphine came to the United States in the mid-50s. I want to say that uh, our original EPA registration is, is dated for 1955, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But before that, it was almost all methyl bromide and cyanide, hydrogen cyanide. Um, hydrogen cyanide was the fumigant of choice for many, many years, and you know it has some tremendous advantages. Cyanide was the only fumigant that's actually lighter than air. So it, it didn't need the recirculation that methyl bromide does, being you know three times heavier than air, you have to move methyl bromide around for it to be effective. Cyanide being lighter than air, you just introduced it into a warehouse and it filled the spaces and it had immediate knockdown. 
it's before my time. To, I, I want to say that the last cyanide being used in the United States was used around 1969. At that point in time, phosphine was really making a hard push. Degish Germany was pushing hard to have it used more in the United States. And it came to the point that American cyanamid basically said, if the companies don't buy the same amount they bought previous years, it's not worth it to us to continue. And once they switched over to phosphine, the cyanide market just basically disappeared. But the people in the industry that I knew back in the early 70s who had been around for cyanide fumigations, there was a big love-hate affair with it. They loved the way it worked, but they hated to handle it because you, it came in cylinders and you actually pressurized the buildings or warehouses or whatever you were fumigating. And it was always blowing seals off of doors and, and side vents and things like that. And if you weren't very careful, it, it only took one you know, one or two good breaths of the cyanide product to put you on the ground. And so they, they were constantly trying to keep this stuff within the warehouses uh, without injuring themselves. <laughs> sure, yeah. Into the early 70s, Ben, that's when phosphine really took off and the tobacco industry started adopting it almost exclusively as their fumigant. Um, up until the late 70s, you know, it was all aluminum phosphide, tablets and pellets were being used to do fumigation in tobacco and in grain as well. At that time, there was no in-transit ship fumigation. Around 1977-78, Degish introduced the uh, Fumicel product, the magnesium phosphide product that was no longer temperature dependent, had a lot quicker breakdown and release of significant concentrations of the, the phosphine gas. And so that product at that point basically took over for the, uh, the tobacco industry and that's what they've used ever since. Ship fumigation, it started around 1976 in the United States. There was in-transit uh, vessel fumigation. Uh, I want to say the very first one happened around 1976. Up until that time, it, it was just not something that was done, but the grain companies needed a way to protect their interest for grain cargoes that were exported to this country while they were in transit and, and didn't want them to arrive on the other side and be rejected as being buggy because that gets very, very expensive quickly. Sure, yeah, that's actually really interesting. I would have never guessed that uh, in-transit ship fumigations would have started in the 70s. I would have placed it at least 20 years prior to that. So that's that's interesting for me to know. I mean, and that, that would have been a, purely a guess on my part. I right. mean, I, I would have just guessed that it would have been a lot earlier than that. So that's interesting. And, and from that point on, basically the, the fumigation industry, uh, the next big change in the fumigation industry occurred in the, in the early 1980s. And that's when EPA banned all liquid grain fumigants. You know, for years and years and years, there were products called 80-20, carbon tetrachloride, things of that nature that any farmer or any grain company could go to the local farm supply store and pick up a five gallon bucket of 80-20 and take it home and climb up to the top of their grain bin, dump this liquid into the top and the fumes were so much heavier than air that they basically penetrated everything on their way down to the bottom and suffocated and or killed all the insect life stages But you know, while it was doing that. but. And I want to say 1982, 83, EPA just announced a sweeping ban on all liquid grain fumigants. And at that point, that's when the phosphine market in the grain industry really, really took off. Well, that sounds extraordinarily dangerous that farmers were just able to go down to the corner store and buy that stuff. So I kind of understand where they're coming from. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I never had the need to use any of these of the liquid grain fumigant products, but I can't imagine that it would be something I would have been happy doing. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So I, I do want to ask a follow-up question about the history of fumigation because we're getting into some really interesting stuff. 
Do you think the changes of fumigation, like cyanide switching to fo more phosphine-based and kind of going away, and then and then the uh, removal or that sweeping ban we were talking about with EPA, do you think that the changes of fumigants are more regulatory driven, or do you think that they're more driven by marketing or or new and innovative products? I think it's all regulatory driven, but just because it's regulatory driven doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. People do what they're used to doing. And once they can't do that, they have to have an alternative. And once they discover how easy some of the alternatives are, they're glad that they made the switch, but they would never ever made the switch unless they were prodded to by the government. Yeah, I love that you, the, the way that you just phrased that because I could not agree more with what you just said about it being a good thing in many respects, us transitioning from one to another. So yeah, I def I'm definitely glad that you said that. So we kind of alluded to this already a little bit, but if you want to expand on it, you can. Why is fumigation so important to maintain for a pest control uh, method in the United States? As, as we discussed earlier, fumigation is the only method of insect control that's going to allow you to kill all stages of the insect. Any of the residual insecticides that you apply, they're going to kill the adult stages, but they're never going to have any effect on the eggs or the larval or pupal stages of the, of the insects unless they come into actual contact with them. Fumigation allows you to kill insects that are buried deep within a grain mass or, or deep within a mass of stored tobacco or flour. There, there's no way you're going to treat with a residual insecticide a rail car full of flour and kill any insects that happen to be in there. Fumigation is the only method that's going to do that and not leave behind harmful residual product. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. And one other thing that I want to make a comment, and I know you'll agree with me on this, I think fumigation, because it's, you know, they're all restricted use pesticides and because they're some of the deadliest pest control uh, products on the market, I think a lot of times people have this negative thought when it comes to fumigation. They think that when you're fumigating grain masses or, or food products that you're, uh, there's going to be some kind of residue that's left behind with these products. and that's not the case. They're gaseous in nature, so they're actually considerably safer to use on our food products. In my opinion, they're safer to use on our food products than a lot of other conventional pest control products. Would you Would you agree with that? Or? Oh no, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, misuse of pesticides, I think, is is still a problem in this country. Fumigants require an extreme amount of care and caution and planning prior to the use. Uh, you know, professional fumigators probably spend as much time preparing for the fumigation as they do yeah. during the actual fumigation. And, you know, once you apply the fumigant, the job has just begun. I, I always tell people that fumigation is a science. So I, I like to ask everybody this, and, and you're lucky enough that you're actually season one, episode one <laughs> guest. So there's been nobody before you, and there's going to be a bunch of people after you, I hope. So... So you're the first person that I'm going to ask this question of, but I think that this is such an important question because we have so many new fumigators that are coming into the market. I mean, you know, the transition is it's taking place now. We have a lot of people who have had a lot of years in the industry that are now either retiring or trending toward retirement, and they're being replaced by a lot of new fumigators. And a lot of these new fumigators, they have a lot of questions. Yeah. So what advice would you give a new fumigator that's just starting out? Somebody that they may or may not even have their fumigation license at this point. They've been hired in, they know they're going to be a fumigator, but they're brand new. What is some of the advice that you would give that individual starting out in their career? First, I would associate myself with individuals of a high caliber, people that can teach you the correct way to do things. 
Don't ever, ever cut corners. Every state in this country has a set of rules and regulations that govern fumigation. Familiarize yourself thoroughly with the rules and regulations in the states in which you operate and never differentiate from those. Read the label, read the label, read the label. I cannot tell you that enough. Uh, monitor. Herb Yeaman, the president of our company, is famous for saying, monitor, monitor, monitor. And that's the key to any fumigation. You know, the days of here, I'm going to dump a, a five gallon can of carbon disulfide into the top of a grain bin. I know it's gonna kill all the insects. I'll come back in a week and everything's fine. Those days don't exist any longer. As I said earlier, fumigation is a science. The ceiling of the buildings in order to maintain the appropriate concentrations is the utmost requirement for any fumigation, applying the correct amount of fumigant to the, to the structure and monitoring the fumigation to ensure that you have adequate amounts of fumigant to control the insects you're trying to. There is some good literature out available to you now that pinpoints a sweet spot for phosphine fumigations. And if I remember correctly, Spencer Walsh with USDA, he's established a number of about 750 parts per million that you have to achieve in order to, to have 100% control of most insect species. Monitor, monitor, monitor. That's all you can do. And don't ever, ever be afraid to walk away from a fumigation. Sometimes things just cannot be fumigated safely and you always have to be aware of that and know what the limitations are of the chemical that you're trying to use. I couldn't agree more. It's m so much better to walk away and go home that night safe than to try to do something unsafe and run the risk of harming yourself, harming your team members, or harming somebody else. Correct. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, hey, Jim, that's all I had for you. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to meet with us today. Thanks a lot, Ben. I enjoyed the opportunity. I want to thank Jim Smiley for giving us some insight into the history of fumigation. It's always so interesting to me to see where our current product lines originated from. And I also think it's important to look back at those that paved the way for us to succeed in the pest control industry. On the next episode of Dagish America Presents, we'll be talking about stored product pests with another good friend of mine, Bob Warren, owner of IPM Solutions. In the meantime, if you have any questions about this episode's topic or any other questions relating to the industry, please make sure to reach out to us. You can find us at dagishamerica.com or on all of the main social media outlets. You can also feel free to email us at info at And so, until next time, I'm Ben Harl, and I hope you have a safe and terrific day.